Monday night. It's a it's a Monday night feeling, and we're gonna have a uh, good one, good one tonight with a, an old friend coming back to visit us, Sean David Morton in the second half. He has gone through a lot of stuff just to get here tonight, and he assures me that he is feeling all right. We'll talk about more about him in in the second half when I'm reading his bio, but. What's the topic? What's the topic for not only the first day of the week, but the first day of the month? It's May 1st, 2023. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the fourth turning. Now, it's come up on this show a lot. It's gone hand in hand with things like the quickening, those whole themes, because we aren't just, um, at this point, we aren't talking about something that is just a uh, preparation for a change of a power between earthly political parties or anything like that, or even a change of hands between generations for that matter. We are, yes, we're talking about the fall of empire, but with this time around, bigger, much bigger metaphysical and perhaps even extraterrestrial questions to be answered. So who will be left behind and who will advance the new round? That's what... That's what we'll be talking about tonight. Uh, I don't know if we'll have any time for phone calls, and even if we do, I don't know if the Skype will be working. We are looking up new uh, phone systems that we can... The 914-595-6953 is... I don't know. I'll probably have to abandon that. I know a lot of people probably have gotten attached to that number. So did I. I only picked it because of the 69, of course, and uh, because that's what my decision-making boils down to. It's It's not that deep. But... um. But I called the the number before we went live here tonight from my phone, and it went through. So I don't know how long it's going to be allowed to take calls before it's suspicious again. But I don't know. We have so much going on in this show tonight. We may not even be able to take calls. We will be able to get through to some super chats, and I hope that you guys do that. I'll be looking for your emails afterwards. And then tomorrow night, we have a pretty free play kind of an evening. So maybe tomorrow could be a little bit more call heavy because tonight's tonight's topic will be big. I'd love to hear some thoughts on that conversation from you. But also, if the if the uh, the lines do work tomorrow, which I will make sure it works one way or another, then we are going to maybe have a little bit more of a redo on the voting rights conversation. Who should have the right to vote? Don't worry, I'll set it up for you real nice so that's what we have going on tonight and i hope that you enjoy yourself of course we're, we're going to be introducing the topics of the fourth turning through other things that are going on out there that really just um i guess throw the mirror up to our 
our collective faces about just how weird things are getting and how there is going to be a reckoning at some point soon. It just can't go on like this, you know. But thank you for showing up tonight. Tonight, I want to thank my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com, of course. Um, they are still doing a wonderful work with people who are inquiring about not only gas masks, but also uh, power generation for the house, for the mobile home, whatever the hell it is. And it's all solar powered. So if that was something that you always wanted to look into for your house, wherever you are, your fallback location, a barracks somewhere, get in touch with Pat and Gina. It's a lot more than just the essential food and the water and the two-way communication radios. And then there is also, um, then there is also, you know, the specialty stuff out, you know, there's the, the first aid, like I said, but the specialty stuff like power generation and gas masks and things for your pets and Get in touch with them. Use promo code FRANKLY. I also would like to throw something out there. We are going to have a, a, a raffle this week, at the end of the week, um, through, quite frankly, superchat.com. If you send one superchat in, you are in the running. Lauren said that the uh, that the prizes are so good that we should actually allow multi, that we should count everybody and just let people go. You know, if you put five superchats in, you should have five votes. I said, I don't know. That can get murky. That can get murky. Well, she said, well, it's not like uh, it's not like $25 Super Chat is any different counted than a $1 Super Chat. It's just how many tickets are in there. So you're right. So, well, I, I think we're just, I don't know. I don't know. But let me show you what I have. My friends at Dr. Gottwoods, they are on the on the affiliates page. They sent this over. They said, Frank, I would love to give this away. Throw this in for a raffle. Look at this. They do all kinds of amazing wood creation. They they, they, uh, they actually, I don't know, they treat the wood and they design it for countertops, stovetops. This one right here is what they call the uh, over the stover board. It's 30 inches by 20 inches by 2 inches high. And it's uh, sapili wood, which is a species of mahogany. And it goes for like $300, and they want to give this away to a, a raffle winner. So if you like things like this, if you always wanted to put something like this over your stove when you're not using it, of course, to create a little bit more countertop space, a little bit, you know, if you're, you're, you're serving a company and you need a little bit more counter space, this stuff is... I mean, it's incredible. They sent us a half board uh, once about a year ago, and it's really beautiful stuff. Sapili wood, gorgeous, all types of things. So you have to you have to be in it to win it. There really is nothing in it. There's nothing really to say. And I'm going to throw in Matt's 10 tips for surviving an encounter with Mothman. So all of your super chats from now until Friday. We'll see what goes on. Maybe we extend it to the weekend. We've been doing it the last couple of uh, raffles. All of those, you go into the running for this, and I'll let you know. I don't know. I think we should just keep one per person and keep it across the board. But I think the next time around, we might we might dabble with, with multiple votes. We'll see. Some of you are just too heavy hitters. You throw in a couple super chats a night just to converse with me, and I just want everybody to feel like they have a chance. Of course you do, but your chances just get worse and worse. That's the problem. So, giving away wood 
If anybody wants any wood, we're giving it away. Get in there. All right, let's go into the grab bag, shall we? First one up is from the New York Post. This is weird. This is weird right here. ABC airs New York City footage with the Twin Towers during a Knicks Heat game. ABC's broadcast of the Knicks Heat game on Sunday used a stock image that contained the World Trade Center, according to the awful announcing and other recordings of the segment. We mistakenly used an old stock image and we apologize, an ESPN spokesperson told The Post in a statement. During the halftime of Game 1 at Madison Square Garden, the broadcast cut to a shot with the Statue of Liberty in view and what appeared to be the Twin Towers in the background near the bottom of the screen. Look at that. Really weird. Is that really a mistake or are they trying to tell us something? And what is that something? The broadcast has shown a video of uh, uh, Stephen Stephen Curry ahead of the Warriors Game 7 on Sunday against the Kings. A broadcast that followed the Knicks Heat game on the network. But then, a few seconds later, the screen with the Statue of Liberty and Twin Towers appeared and it remained for at least eight seconds as the message was read about MetaQuest presenting ABC's halftime report. Let's take a look at this. This halftime report is presented by MetaQuest. Wish for the extraordinary. How the hell do you do that? That's that's 22-year-old footage. How do you do that? I, I So that is weird. That's 22-year-old footage. Man. You know, you can say it's really nothing, but it's really not nothing. That's very weird. You can't tell me it's not deliberate. How can it be a mistake? Well, here's something that's not a mistake either. The the planned collapse of the average American mind. University blocked transgender sports research after proposal mentioned the term male. The term is misgendering. I can only imagine how fair and balanced that research was going to be. A professor said activist interference in what can be research, uh, what can be researched erodes the integrity of science. Yeah, well, the whole thing is that you have to keep them out of this in order for there to be any kind of chance to to find out something helpful. But then again, what is there to really research? What is there to research? This is almost like at this point to research gender or trans something or another is. Um, or, or even to, to, to apply it to how sports, how people compete, is like negotiating with terrorists. There's no point. You're coming, you're trying to approach irrationality from a rational scientific point of view as if whatever you come up with is going to, to, to change the situation. Case in point, over the weekend, Actually, it was a little bit late last week. Yeah, it was Friday. This guy, Mehdi Hassan, he put out a tweet like mid to late last week. And he said this because, of course, um, Bill Maher was talking about gun violence. He made comments about gun violence on his show two weeks ago. And he was asking, you know, what is going on? You know, civil rights this, civil rights that. But what's going on with black on black murder rates what's going on with the violence in the inner cities you would think that this would be a place where there is uh, it is you, you i mean i mean the solidarity and the 
you, you would think that there'd be something reflecting all of the integrity and the dignity that is behind the, uh, I don't know, the facade of all these bogus money laundering operations we call civil rights movements. But the murder and the death and the the violence is incredible, and it's and, and it's such a turning in on each other kind of a thing. Well, Medias San said, "Well, I have to go out there and and put an end to this." And he did. And it's so incredible how they used to get away with this stuff and they can't do it anymore. He said, "White people kill each kill other white people at almost the same rate black people kill other black people. Yet you never hear anyone complaining about white on white crime. These aren't points of sage wisdom from Ma- from Bill Maher. They are classic racist dog wiggle whistles wiggles. They might as well, might as well be wiggles because they're not whistles. Um, if you go into murder statistics, people tend." to overwhelmingly kill members of their own race the most. White people, over 90%, are the murders against other white people. Black people, over 90%, the same. The problem is per capita murders. White people are over 60% of the population, and they are only barely... Here, look, listen. According to the 2019... Now, this is what happened. The community notes kicked in on Twitter, and they came in and they started checking Mehdi Hassan about what the reality is and why he's lying and why he's pro- he's producing a uh, a conclusion, a story in a very pointedly political way and deliberately deceiving people. According to the 2019 FBI stats, there were 2,594 white-on-white homicides and 2,574. 20 people less, black-on-black homicides. In 2019, here's the kicker, though. White population of the U.S. was 60.1% of the total population, and the black population was 12.2%. Thus, per capita murder rate was much higher in the black-on-black group. So 60% versus 12%, and, and there's only 20 less murders on the black on black end so that is they're working overtime working overtime to compete with a subset of the population that is three times as large as them more than three times as large that that's just the situation that that we're seeing it's it should be concerning to everybody and i'm sure it's very concerning to black americans who are not violent who are living in violent neighborhoods I'm sure it's very concerning to them because they're the ones calling the police. They're the ones who have stray bullets going through their uh, their living rooms. So now Mehdi Hassan is really pissed off. He's really pissed off about this because the lies, at least on Twitter, at least on Twitter, which is the only place where you get you get this this contrast to what it used to be like and where it is everywhere else and where what it's like now. He said, um, if you had any doubt that Community Notes has become another weapon on the right, of the right on Musk's Twitter, the weapon of the right, the truth, the truth is a weapon of the right, then okay, fine, fine. See the BS Community Note added to my Bill Maher clip after MAGA folks demanded it. It made a point that is irrelevant to the one I am making. Uh, regarding intra uh, intraracial rates of killing, no, it 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 no, no, it doesn't. No, it debunks what you're trying to put forward. 
Okay, it adds context to what you're trying to put forward that makes no sense. But this is what I'm talking about. You go and you 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 know that you're going to try. You want to try to appeal to the rationale of people on a on a college campus somewhere who are dead set on allowing boys to compete as girls and girls to compete as boys and thinking there's no difference in between and they think they're on the right side of history that we have been born just in time to watch a new evolution of the human species within the within the the frame of like seven years those people are never going to be to read this read something like this to be checked on something like this and and have it sink in they're only going to retreat like Media Sun. This this nut job, this nut job who has a show, I guess, on NBC. Of course he does. Where are they coming from? Where are they coming from with this? Just so incredible. Um, facts. Uh, they really sting. It must really sting. Wonderful to get that contrast there. What time is it? Seven Eleven. We'll do. Uh, we'll do one more. We will do one more. Here is a knight. Did you see this one, ladies and gentlemen? I didn't, but I read about it afterwards because everything's fake. From msn.com, a knight. This was this was originally published on the Washington Post. Headline is A Light Evening with Dark Brandon. A Light Evening with Dark Brandon. It was the uh what was it, the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner? In his first two years as president, Joe Biden has been relatively reluctant to meet with members of the news media. <laughs> really? He was reluctant to meet with members of the news media when he was so-called campaigning as well. You know why? The man's retarded. He shits his pants. But there were no hard feelings in evidence on Saturday night as Biden, probably completely sauced up on meth- methamphetamine just to level him out, and First Lady Jill Biden happily joined the White House Correspondents Association annual dinner. The president, dapper in a tuxedo, seemed relaxed as he sat at the head of the table along with the Vice President Harris and other VIPs in the vast subterranean ballroom of the Washington Hilton. Journalists suspended their watchful reticence for the evening, giving, as is tradition, a warm greeting to the nation's chief executive. Oh, is, is that the tradition? Many of them didn't show up to Trump's. Biden offered a few topical zingers in the after-dinner remarks. Quote, I get that age is a completely reasonable issue, the 80-year-old president said of the wariness heading into the recently announced re-election campaign. Then he referenced 92-year-old Fox Corps chairman Rupert Murdoch. How could I dislike a guy who makes me look like Harry Styles? Oh, oh I mean, he, he definitely wrote that one. And I'm sure all the, um, the dimwits clapped and chuckled, belly laughed. And then, oh, there he goes. There he goes. Then he put on his aviators. He started talking about dark, that made dark Brandon, Dominion jokes, all that stuff. But um, he put on his aviators, looks like the hearse driver from Burnt Offerings. And this is where they really took over again and tried to force this dark Brandon thing into their their wheelhouse and some people pick up on it but it's just they're they're pathetic people now I did a good analysis of the dark Brandon crap in the past Uh, the Brandon meme as they just don't get but then again they're talking to people who don't get anything was was it was an indictment of the media let's go Brandon is an indictment of the media 
the media, the PR machine at the White House, all that. They were the ones who thought we would be stupid enough to think that a fuck Joe Biden chant at the end of a NASCAR race was really let's go Brandon because they wanted to they wanted to cover it up. They wanted to be the Praetorian Guard that they were have always been supposed to be. You know, that's that's what it was really all about. An indictment of the media. No one had no one needed a code word to make fun of the incontinent Joe Biden. No one needed a code word. We had we had arenas full of college students chanting fuck Joe Biden all over the country. No one needed a code word. All right. All right. It was a media taunt. And what did the media in the White House do? They trotted out this dark Brandon thing like a couple of weeks too after they had a conniption fit over the dark MAGA stuff that started going around. We were having fun with it for a little while. And of course, they they were sweating blood because that's what they do. They're not cool. They're not cool and calm enough to put something out that is it's it's not it's just so fucking pathetic. See, this is why when I look at a a room full of unhip, out-of-touch, elitist degenerates. And when I see them try to dip into our world to try to co-opt something that ultimately embarrasses them, it's like, I guess there's cringe in there, but it's so much more morbid um, fascination. It's not pity. It's not pity. I don't pity them. I loathe them. But it's like realizing that you have body odor and then you keep going back to smell it every so often just to make sure it's really that bad. You know, it's like that. It's a very weird thing. Um, maybe, Maybe a little bit like watching Napoleon Dynamite too, where you're just like, oh man, imagine what it's like to be these people. You know, don't you feel that way when you watch Napoleon Dynamite? You, you, you're able to comfortably observe a level of awkward and inauthenticity. Maybe not. Yeah, I, it's just weird. That's what, that's what happens here. Like when you're in elementary school and your teachers in elementary school do something um, that just embarrasses you. I was always embarrassed by my teachers in elementary school. When, uh, but then there's other children in the class who thought it was cool and went along with them. Like when they go and they took a Coolio song or the theme song from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and they changed the lyrics for it to be something fun and, you know, school related. I don't know, maybe for Spirit Day or something like that. And it's just so embarrassing to you even at that age. But you look around and you see your friends, some of your friends that are going along with it. And I'm just like, this is sad. And you, you see that they're actually genuinely having a ball, following along, and then it's... I, I guess that's what the Krasensteins are. Like the Krasenstein brothers. I can see them seeing Dark Brandon, learning about Dark Brandon, and how they're they're really using some jujitsu to turn it around on the maggots. As they say, yeah, Dark Brandon, baby. Boy, we really turned this around on them, didn't we? Yuck, yuck. Oh, God, it's so fucked up. There's no sense there whatsoever. And, and meanwhile, meanwhile, the hearse driver, meanwhile, the hearse driver from uh, from Burnt Offerings has already gotten hundreds of thousands of Europeans slaughtered so far in the most obvious proxy war in our national security apparatus's bloody history, and there's no way out now. We were caught attacking our allies by bombing the Nord Stream pipeline, then kind of just walked away from the crime scene and tried to sell Germany discount gas of our own. 
we had a third bank that closed now and is being uh is being absorbed by JP Morgan first republic base uh, bank is being seized sold to JP Morgan in second largest US bank failure i think the first one was uh a couple of weeks ago so that that's going on right now not not only does he have his dark brandon i'm talking about have his doj going after his chief political opponents and having them arrested and charged and booked in the lead up of what is yet going to be another another election by mail wherein there will be no debating among the candidates so just imagine just imagine if this was anyone other than a um i don't a a, a muppet democrat just a muppet a puppet on a string so that's what we have but uh but yeah all right that's it right now we're gonna go into the the opening and i hope that you're still with me on the other end of it i have tweeted out all the live links it's on gab it's on truth it's on telegram please become a sponsor of the show through social media and help me get it out to some new people who have never met us before it um it's gonna be a good week Yes, it will. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! And as you know, we'll be taking some super chats um, and responding to those by the end of the show. Right after the intermission and then right after Sean David Morton leaves us around 845. It's going to be a short show tonight, but I wanted to bring him on for this no matter what. And that you can go to, quite frankly, superchat.com, which will now get you in the running for not only Matt's survival tips, but also a wonderful piece of lumber. From Dr. Gottwoods, which you can find all of their business information on the affiliates page on QuiteFrankly.tv. They do great work. I can, I can tell you, we've got a piece of their wood in our house. All right, so what do we have? Oh, real quick before we get into the other thing here, because I, kinda, I, I guess it goes into the whole replacement of a rational mind with an irrational old doddering mind. And this is Arnold Schwarzenegger, unfortunately. He's sitting down with one of the skeletal blonde women from CNN. I forgot what her name is. She's just, I can't stand her. I don't like them all. I don't like any of them. I just don't like them. But here he is 
a childhood hero of many of us. He's talking about uh, Donald Trump, and I want you to I want you to listen to this. You said history shouldn't repeat itself. Donald Trump is now the front runner to be the nominee of your party, of the Republican Party. Given everything you said, does that concern you? Absolutely not, because being a front runner of one party and um, letting them dig this hole deeper and deeper is going to make it easier for the Democrats and the end to win. It's sad to see that, that they couldn't come up with a new talent, with a new face that is a, um, a reasonable, smart, intelligent person that can lead this country uh, in a Republican way. You think there's no <laughs> Well, listen, as I said um, earlier on in the weekend, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger died many years ago. He was replaced by this ninny over here, uh, who just about two years ago said, screw your freedoms, while shilling for lockdowns and forced inoculations and social isolation. So, you know, rest in peace, Arnold. I'll always be a fan of your life prior to the cloning. Idiot. Mashed potato brained idiot. I, don't, I have no clue what he's talking about. He doesn't either. I don't know why they bra- dragged him onto CNN to talk about what republic, what the republicanism. But also remember this. You must remember this. Here's a headline from Fandom Wire from last April. Or no, no, I'm sorry. Not too long ago. A couple days ago. He did it deliberately. This is the headline right in my face. Female co-star has not forgiven Arnold Schwarzenegger for farting on her face. Very, very bad look for the Republicans. Thanks to his many action film roles, Arnold Schwarzenegger is a major Hollywood store and household name. Throughout his decade, Schwarzenegger has starred in several critically acclaimed films that helped establish his legendary status. However, not everyone who has worked with him thinks highly of him. Miriam Margolis, Schwarzenegger's co-star in End of Days, claimed that he deliberately farted in her face, which she found rude and unprofessional. This incident has been a um, contention between Margulis and Schwarzenegger for many years. The supernatural action thriller, End of Days, came out in 1999. It's a great film, actually. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gabriel Byrne, Robin Tunney, and Kevin Pollack star in this Peter Himes-directed and uh, Andrew Marlowe-written film. In it, Schwarzenegger plays a former NYPD detective named Jericho Kane, who gets drawn into a conflict with end-of-the-world implications. Actress Miriam Margolis, who played Mabel in the End of Days, recently talked um, to I've Got News for You podcast about her experience working with Arnold Schwarzenegger. She explained that she didn't care for him, calling him a bit too full of himself. Margolis continued that Schwarzenegger was extremely rude and unprofessional by farting in her face during filming. She took it personally and still harbors resentment toward her co-star. Here's a quote. He was actually quite rude. He farted in my face. Now, I fart. Of course I do, but I don't fart in people's faces. He did it deliberately right in my face. I'd like to know when, how. But um, I believe her because... He's full of hot air. So I'll always like his films. But uh, as far as what he is now, no thanks. 
All right, let's move on. Let's move on. How was your weekend? Mine was all right. I think I had a really great time. Lauren's birthday. Lauren's birthday was fine. The first night, it was the first night allowing someone else to put Aurora to bed. That's, um, so that was something else. My, my sister-in-law was the first one, uh, was able to go through her bedtime routine with us going out for the night to a, a buddy's, um, wedding. And that was a little challenging, especially for Lauren. I knew it would be, and I almost felt bad taking her with me to the wedding, but we had, we had to go. And this night had to happen at some point. But you know what I told her? And I thought about it. And I've been thinking about it ever since. I said, Lauren, let's play a game. How about we play this game? How about we say in 30 years, we say, let's say it we're, we're thir- it's 30 years from now. And we are being given a chance to come back to this night. And we are going to go out. We're young. We still got decent knees. We're going to dance. We're going to be at a friend's wedding. And we're going to know that we're going to come home and our beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old Aurora is going to be sleeping in bed and we get to see her the next day and everything's okay. And that really that really helped take the edge off a lot of things, at least for me. You know, there's times you just think, of course, I'm father and daughter dances now are, are just, just disgusting events for me. When Aurora gets married... I don't know what is going to, I, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen to me, especially for the father daughter dance. I don't know what's going to happen to me. It's going to be embarrassing, but whatever. I'm just going to say it. And, uh, and that, oh, and another thing, another thing I got to say real quick before we get going, we went to the, Lauren and I, we love dancing at these, these events. We danced our way to the dance floor. Before we were one of the first people out there. We're doing our thing and we're having a good time. And then, uh, you know, we take breaks in between. We get back. We have a little bit of a drink. The food starts coming. Suddenly, I feel my right foot is numb. I said, what the hell is going on? That's my toe. Do I have an ingrown toenail? I don't. I don't cut my nails too short. I, I know how to avoid all that stuff. So, like, what, how? Why is this happening? Is it the dancing? This, whatever. So, I... um. I was, my night dancing was cut short because I'm limping around because I wasn't able to assess the damage until I got home. And let me tell you something. When I got home, the nail, yes, it was ingrown a little bit. It was like pushed into the side of the nail bed, but it wasn't the tip. It was like the bottom, the base of the nail. I said, what is going on? Is this because I was twisting too much? It's very, very odd. And it didn't look too bad when I got home, but it felt like shit. It made me think about every time you watch a movie, whether it be a horror film, a war movie, something like that, somebody has an injury, a leg, they've been shot, what, something's going on, you're just like, you still have a good leg, get up, you son of a bitch, and run, get out of there, you're in danger. Let me tell you something, if you have an ingrown toenail, you're not fucking going anywhere. I'm like, I can't, I, can't, <laughs> I was hobbling around, I was hobbling around, like I was, uh, you know, like a pirate from an ingrown toenail that came out of nowhere. I think I'm going to be able to get up and run if somebody shoots me in the back. <laughs> nope. Not going to happen. In fact, you're not going to walk right for a week. It feels a little bit better today. I'm just I'm hoping that the next two days and it's gone because I don't want to have to go to the podiatrist. I've had that done once before. I had to clip down the side. Eh, whatever. All right. Anyway, just wanted to 
Just wanted to bring that up. So, Elon Musk was on Bill Maher, and they were talking about a number of things in their 20-minute interview, including the woke mind virus. Now, I want to play a couple of short clips for you, provided by Mario Newfall, this thread he put together. And then I want to build on that and use it to set the table for a talk about the fourth turning, because it really does it really does reflect where we're going and what it all means. You know, it's just, just a lot of different parts, subjects in here that we can riff on, but the one that really stands out is where they talk about this woke mind virus. And um, it's something we have to kill. Then I say that metaphorically before we can make the next leap as a civilization. No doubt about it, because this has been foisted upon us to keep us back. It is, it's part of the big net. The, the cybernetics, the AI, the, uh, the transhumanism, the gender confusion, this, this real mutated love affair with all things that are Marxist, even though they don't know what the roots of all that stuff are, where it comes from, and, and who created it, and for what purpose. It is all a trap. It's all a trap. It's never the actual thing itself. The actual, like, communism, that old line from the Clue movie, it's a wonderful line, communism is a red herring. It is. Communism is, is just a program. It's a weapon. It's not an actual real thing. The people at the top of the pecking order of communism are not communists. They, they live better than most free market capitalists do. It's just a trap. Now take a listen to this. Here's the first clip. This is from uh, this is from Friday. This uh, woke mind virus. How did it start? Was it bats? Was it a, a <laughs> yeah. escape from a lab? I mean, wh- what is your assessment of what? Because it's fairly recent. <laughs> why? Why? How did it start and why? Well, fairly recent. You know who we should talk about this with, and and perhaps we'll we will when he comes on the air uh, with us a couple, maybe about a week or two from now, is Jay Dyer. He and I would be really uh, that would that'd be a good time for us to to jump in into where it comes from. He's it's coming on real fast. No, 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 no. It's not coming on real fast. This is the stage five cancer. All right, L- progressivism as I guess uh, that is in Bill Maher's wheelhouse is stage two, three and flirting with four cancer. It it did. This did not just arrive in a vacuum. It's all, it's all progressive. It's a very progressive degenerative disease. When you, when you can't stay, when you can't stay still and set down firm footing anywhere and build a foundation because that foundation five years from then is then deemed oppressive when you have to keep moving, you have to find new frontiers. That's the whole thing there. And you, you just can't be tolerant of everything. You can't be tolerant of everything. The live and let live thing is a, there's a very short leash on, leash on that. Very short leash on live and let live. So all of it is planned, but we are here debating the surface level issues now. So I was trying to figure out where where it's coming from. I think it's actually been a long time brewing um, in that it's, uh, I think it's been going on for a while. Um, it, 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 and um, the, the amount of indoctrination that, that's happening in schools and, and universities is I think far beyond what parents realize. 
Um, and I, I only I sort of came to realize this somewhat, somewhat late. Um, the, the, the experience that we had uh, in, in high school and college is not the experience that, that kids today are having um, and, and hasn't been for, I don't know, ten, 10 years, maybe 20 years. So, uh, aren't parents themselves also a big part of the problem? They, well, I, I suppose in some cases. This is not really a good exchange, um, but yeah, parents are a part of the problem just because, in, in a way, that they're they're just as dumb as the children are. Now, some of them have already picked up one mantle or another, one banner or another, and they're they're running with it. But um, but they all came from the same places. They all came from the same places. I mean, their teachers were old uh, ex-weathermen as well, and now these kids' teachers are all Antifa. It, it, it's just, it's one thing after another. They're all bomb makers, whether it's metaphorical bomb making or not. 1619 Project, that's a bomb making project right there. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't serve anybody any good. It doesn't lay the groundwork down for a stable, happy, prosperous, open future for anybody. None of it. None of it at all. And and this is where we're going. Now they talk about free the importance of free speech, which I I, I would have to imagine is something that we, we should be able to grasp onto. I, I really can't emphasize this enough. We, we must uh, uh, we must protect free speech. Um, and free speech only matters it's only relevant when it's someone you don't like saying something you don't like because obviously free <laughs> speech that you like is uh, yes. you know, that's easy. Um, so it it's uh, and it's the thing about censorship is that sure for, for those who would advocate it um just remember at some point that will be turned on you yeah they all they all clap but you want to know what's part of free speech being able to air grievances about things like election integrity um th- this stuff is very important it's very important and it is a um it's an attack on free speech that's why we have elections that we have right now, because nobody's concerns were listened to. And of course, whenever people were trying to really protest and put things down, they uh, they sent out all of the feds, all the feds, the plain clothes feds to go up there and, and rabble rouse. And and of course, gave us our our latest war on terror. You know, this it's it's very important there. It's important to talk about free speech, at least on one platform that you kind of loosen the, the the choker a little bit. But. But, you know, we've got to be able to exist if we are going to be human again and truly have full human experiences while enjoying technology. But to have full human experiences, we need to be able to um, exist outside of Twitter. And that's a real issue. You know, we see what parents and anybody going to PTA meetings are putting up with. We see what's going on with just the the, the old school media and how they report on things that are. You know, I was watching Field of Dreams last night on QuiteFrankly.tv. It was the it was the ten o'clock feature. Near perfect movie. I love that movie. Uh, it's it's just it's just chills. It's awesome. It's an amazing story about parenthood and children and dreams and America and. Um, and when I when I watched that opening those opening scenes, uh, when Kevin Costner's uh, uh, his his when Ray's wife is at the the school board meeting and they're talking about banning Terrence Mann books because it's smut and pornography and all that stuff. And of course, there is the there is the depiction of old, uh, you know, I I would say theocratic conservative soccer mom women 
that just are out there to kick ass and ban books and burn books and 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 you start you side with as the viewer you're siding with um Ray's wife for for what she's saying this is America we got the what about the constitution what about free speech and all this stuff you're going to you're going to burn books you're going to censor books and you think about it now you say well uh, if if you were to go from 1989 to 2023 that old hippie 1960s mentality uh, I mean, what would she be doing? What, who, where would the balance be in that room again? First of all, the whole idea of banning books is just being lied about now. Now they're not telling you that we're not talking about uh, Harry Potter. We're not talking about the Da Vinci Code. We're talking about blowjob tutorials for children. We're talking about real recreational sex tutorials. That's what's going on here, but they won't say it. They won't say it, so they put on this cloak of free speech. They put on the cloak of civil rights, and and that's the real issue. You need to learn mind control tactics first. You need to learn to be able to decipher psychological warfare tactics, mind war first. That's the real thing here, because outside of Twitter, whatever the hell they change up algorithmically is one thing, but outside of Twitter, that's where real life is, and it is lies and deception, and it is gaslighting all over the place. It's, a, it's become real, real messed up. Real messed up. Now, what I want to do is I want to throw this at you. I mean, I even saw the Air Force. Um, I, 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 read, I saw there was some kind of a, a congressional hearing or something. Matt Gates had tweeted it out a couple of days ago. The Air Force was actively telling service members to not recognize parents as moms or dads. They're getting into this. So if you think that this is not in line with all of corporate America, all the ESG, titty-sucking, you know, uh, money hounds out there, if you think that this is not part of that really crazy coordination among these, uh, these corporations that are suddenly sending you emails saying, we know that Mother's Day is a hard time. If you don't want to hear anything about it, oh, just let us know. You let me know on June 1st if they send you that email. If you, they, if you don't want to be, uh, you know, hit over the top of head, uh, head, hit over the top of the head with the rainbow for 30 fucking days, even though every other week outside of June is some kind of sexual gender visibility day anyway. So you let me know if on June 1st you get all of the, do you not want to see the rainbow? Yeah, bullshit. It's it's about moms, dads, destroying and whittling away the family, talking about the nuclear family as an obscenity, motherhood as an obscenity, as some kind of a prison sentence that needs to be uh, centralized even that, fertility needs to be centralized. We're going to be talking a lot more about that in the future. But this is even going on in the Air Force. That's what's going on. It's just, um, those are your generals at this point. So now I want to read to you something that we just published on quitefrankly.tv. You probably have heard the term, and this is going to be our attempt at bringing it to you in a little bit more of a fun, digestible, and... Um, an information-packed way. It's called The Fourth Turning. This is by, uh, quite frankly, writer John Carroll. He He goes off and he says the following, something big is coming, 
Everyone can sense it just beyond the horizon. It's alluded to every day by two primary terms, the Great Reset and the Great Awakening. When examined through more of an apolitical and anthropological lens, however, another term which has gained traction recently is the fourth turning. And here's a little screenshot from the boards. Happening, the happening is going to be here soon because of the Strauss-Howe generational theory. A seculum is a length of time roughly equal to the potential lifetime of a person or equivalently, uh, um, equivalently the complete renewal of a human population. Originally, it meant the time from the moment that something happened, for example, the founding of a city, until the point in time that all the people who had lived at the first moment had died. Okay, so if you founded a city, you know, when that, that founding generation was gone, that was the end of the seculum. Uh, at that point, a new seculum would start. And it is, a, it is an ancient unit of time that spans roughly 80 to 100 years. The idea is that the cycle of human affairs approximates the length of, uh, length of a long human life. Every 20 to 25 years, there is a turning point. There's a high, there's an awakening, an unraveling, and then the crisis. Every fourth turning point, shit hits the fan. Examples of the last four centuries. This is what you got. 1683 to 1699, the Great Turkish War, siege on Vienna. The Ottoman Empire could have reigned over Europe if the siege succeeded. Then you fast forward 80 years. It's 1776, the U.S. gains their independence. Fast forward another 80 years. 1861, the U.S. goes into the Civil War. Fast forward another 80 years. It's 1939, World War II begins. Fast forward another 80 years, you are here. Turning points from the last and current seculum. The high was 1945 to the 1960s, the post-war boom. The world is getting rebuilt. Boomers get the best timeline possible. The awakenings, that's 60s, the 1960s, the 1980s, the consciousness revolution. The unraveling is the 1980s until the early 2000s, the Reagan revolution, the culture wars, and then, of course, the crisis, you are here. The crux of this theory has been expressed through countless variations of the following meme, which have proliferated during the past several years. That is, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. The challenges we now face seem far greater in scope than in any previous fourth turning. As we theorize in the World War Truth, that's the, those are all blogs that are linked to other blogs in our, uh, in our repertoire here, ladies and gentlemen. As we theorize in World War Truth, we are likely already in the middle of World War III, which is the first literal world war, in that every person on the planet is forced to participate in some degree. To declare pandemic, the declared pandemic made it painfully clear that the Hegelian dialectics, mostly employed to slowly chip away at our cultural uh, homogeneity and national sovereignty over the past decades, are now set to become much bolder. Going forward, they will be aimed at violently centralizing our financial systems, filling our bodies with bugs, poison, and computer chips, and ultimately stealing our birthright. So how did we get to this point? First, let us consider the ramifications of the end of a seculum. When the men and the women who fought the revolution passed away, their idiosyncratic vision of America died with them. By the time the Civil War finally broke out, the southern states had come to see their membership in the Union as an abusive relationship, as explained in the War on Northern Aggression and Hypocrisy. That's another blog of ours. 
Similarly, today, we scoff at the idea of fighting to uphold our democracy, which was championed by the greatest generation in the last fourth turning, but which is now determined to take us into a direction we refuse to go. That brings us to the next cause of the current crisis. We have reached the tipping point, a theory first proposed by Malcolm Gladwell, then, then refined by scientists as, um, at uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic in, uh, Institute in New York. Here's a quote. They found that when 10% of the population holds an unshakable belief, the majority of the society will eventually adopt it. End quote. More specifically, we are racing toward an inflection point because two tipping points, which are diametrically opposed, have been reached simultaneously. Case in point, at least 10% of Americans know for a fact that the 2020 election was stolen, and at least another 10% of Americans know for a fact that it wasn't. Recall the timeline battle just discussed in the arms race of ideas. Listen to this. This is a, uh, another clip from the boards from December of 2020. Half of the world is 100% sure that Trump colluded with Russia, and the other half is 100% sure that was complete bullshit. These are two realities playing out simultaneously. There's nothing schizo about this, and it's not the secret woo bullshit either. The objective reality doesn't even matter because reality is filtered through humans. So unless you can convince the other humans to believe in your reality, then they aren't part of it. They will live and die in their own version of reality. You can argue and say, well, they're just deluded in their thinking, and you might be right. But they could say the same thing about you, and you're back to square one, where both you, where, where, uh, where both of you, both of you are living in different realities. The point is that we are living in multiple realities that have yet to manifest themselves fully. In one reality, Trump lost the election and Biden is 100% the president-elect and will be inaugurated, while in another reality, we are 100% sure the election was rigged and Trump will find a way to push enough doubt into the world that it will invalidate any votes after 8 p.m. on election night. And if that doesn't work, it will become a contested election and each state will get one vote toward this, uh, the presidency and Trump wins. So until the final reality is realized, there are two realities actively playing out. It's not woo or the secret or schizo. That's just a description of what's happening in real time. This goes even further, and you can break down uh, each reality into smaller realities where certain information is memory hold, while other information comes to light and becomes part of the mainstream. If it turns out that there's plenty of evidence of fraud exposed, then those realities will collapse and the narratives from the Democrats will shift to it wasn't enough to change the election. And if that reality is further collapsed, then they will move into their next narrative of it's over. You aren't allowed to redo the election and so on. Oh, it's just it, it's a it's it's a perfect encapsulation of the insanity. I'm sure some of you have been caught up in those kind of um it's almost like the makings of an existential crisis where you, you realize you realize how hopeless the whole damn thing is like you, you you're trapped when and I'm not and I'm not trying to black pill anybody but as far as where the the case of American or even world politics right now that's how hopeless it is that you're not going to find just like we said in the beginning don't go out there and spend money and time trying to put together really well-thought-out, well-reasoned research about transgender sports competitions thinking you're going to sway insane people to see the truth, whether it just be, I, I don't know, any aspect of it. You're just not going to do it. 
That does not mean that we aren't in a wonderful position to affect real positive change in the world and in our ourselves and to enjoy our lives while we're here. None of that. But um, you can see why, objectively, we are careening toward some sort of a real confrontation, one that we haven't seen in a long time. All right, let's continue. Let's finish this one up. This particular issue of the 2020 election remains unresolved since at least 10% of Americans don't accept the Biden administration as legitimate. Meanwhile, Trump is continuing to force the issue and his accusations of fraud, along with his proposed solutions, reach new heights in December. This is when he said this on Truth Social. Donald Trump said so with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party Do you throw the presidential election result of 2020 out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles, even those found in the Constitution. Our great founders did not want and would not condone false and fraudulent elections. Well, there's something for you. Now, of course, the the truth about the 2020 election isn't the only inflection point we're approaching. Tipping uh, Tipping point showdowns have been set in seemingly every facet of society around life and death issues at the civilizational level. The proponents of climate change, for example, argue that if the governments of the world fail to marshal all instruments of power to end carbon emissions, all life on Earth will end. These people easily make up 10% of Americans, as do we who believe climate change is a hoax designed to take away everything we hold dear. Another inflection point can be identified over the issue of abortion. The pro-life faction believes that we are committing the unspeakable crime of infanticide, punishable by divine wrath, while other opponents are convinced that ending it equates to an attack on their bodily autonomy. In an ironic twist, they came to hold the unshakable belief that failing to violate our bodily autonomy with experimental gene therapies would cost them their own lives. These issues are crusaded for and against with not just passion, but religious fervor, and rightly so. The fourth turning is absolutely a religious struggle, with the two main belligerents being scientism versus Christianity. This is no longer a simple civic debate or civil debate over reason, reason and faith, as the powers behind scientism have gone out of their way to shape their cause as the exact opposite of Christianity, forcing those sitting on the sidelines to accept it at ultimatum. Regardless of which faction choose, uh, people choose, their entire belief system will likely be put to the test via one of the greatest mysteries in our collective human culture. Are we alone in the universe? Well, we're going to find out. Since late 2017, the mainstream media had deliberately pushed narratives acknowledging the existence of of UFOs, a notion they previously always dismissed as ridiculous. There's obviously a reason for this disclosure, but we genuinely have no idea what it is. Will it be Project Bluebeam? If so, will the fake aliens be presented as hostile forces against which humanity must surrender its sovereignty and unite militarily? Perhaps a peaceful force with a hologram messiah in the sky explaining humanity's true origins. On the other hand, what if aliens are real and the media disclosure was launched ahead of a future intergalactic visit that cannot be stopped? What would we learn from them, and how would our understanding of the universe change? 
The alien question is so consequential that it could probably settle most of our disputes regardless of which direction we go from there. One thing is for sure, our disputes will be settled. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Our unshakable belief from the very foundation of our reality and from these sets of tipping points will arise a winner. The fact that fourth turnings are a cyclical and reoccurring phenomenon suggests that the laws of the universe demand it. Along the way, we're going to have to deal with the collapse of most of what we've taken for granted all of our lives. We're all eagerly awaiting for the everything bubble to pop and for the U.S. dollar to finally fail, as all fiat currencies have in the past. We're teetering on the edge of nuclear war. Our infrastructure is crumbling, and we're facing food and energy crises in the coming years. These hardships will cause further polarization as each side will blame the other, and something will eventually give. From the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines and the countless food processing centers and the chemical spills via train derailment, the elite are now accelerating our descent into pandemonium. The fourth turning will have arrived, with or without them, but they will attempt to guide and control events on high, from on high, in the hopes of retaining their privileged status. Unfortunately for them, there will simply be too many unpredictable X factors to control everything, and the future is very much still a blank canvas. That's where we come in. Each of us will have an opportunity to take some kind of action in what lies ahead. We might as well. Those who do nothing will not be left alone. This is the fourth turning, a perfect storm of politics, religion, science, culture, economics, which has all been transformed into battlefields in, in what will be the culmination of fifth-generation warfare. It is total war. It is holy war. It will be our duty to find our courage and charge into the unknown to push ourselves beyond our known limits and seize control of our collective consciousness. So, strap in, because we're about to embark on the most epic adventure of our lives. It's happening. It's just crazy to think about how all of this impending chaos and our rendezvous with destiny was triggered by something as small as Gamergate. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's, uh, it's a good one. And that's another one that you can read on, quite frankly, blog. In fact, we have amassed such great stuff over there on the blog section on quitefrankly.tv. Get lost in it and keep reading it over and over again. There's some great stuff in there, and that's that's really what it is. We're talking about cyclical, cyclical phenomenon that really is um, is unavoidable. And you can see now we're being brought to the precipice once again. Now, even though this happens naturally, as it may seem, there's a few things that are different on this time around than others. We have the technological aspect that we have never seen in, uh, in, in recorded human history. Who knows what came before, way, way before us. But we got the technological aspect. We've got the metaphysical aspect. We've got a lot of things going on for us. In about 15 minutes, I'm going to be bringing on Sean David Morton, who has done a lot of work on the fourth turning and other prophetic themes throughout his many years on radio and television and uh, and elsewhere. So don't go anywhere. We're coming back with the second half of the show, and I hope that you're here to enjoy it with us. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome 
after intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you? Back. Just a little breather. So happy to see everybody hanging. Having a good time, I'm sure. Let's get to some super chats and do this while uh, we wait for our guests to show up. We got some time. Maybe we can even slip in a call or two. First one up, this is from Rapunzel. She emailed me. She said, hey, Frank, tell Matt to stop trying to, to trans the Franklies into Franciscans. I'm taking a hard, firm stance on this one, and so are a lot of us. He better stop or else. Signed, Rapunzel. That is a reference to, to Friday night's show where Matt had... Uh, he had made some comments about about forming a new sect of, of audience called the Franciscans instead of the Franklies, which I I had never I never had any a part of anyway. I always just thought that was that was funny to watch, and I thought that this was equally funny because Matt's done stuff like this in the past too, uh, probably around two thousand eleven, twelve, thirteen, something like that. We were in the old studio. He, he put out a call to arms and he formed a militia. And he only had one one militia member. It was this guy, this kid, uh, Zach, from upstate New York, Zachary. So that was Matt's militia. I'm sure if there was a lot more people in the audience back then, not a lot of people were watching, then uh, many of you would have been part of Matt's, Matt's Minutemen. But this was just funny to me because, of course, it's a typical twist 
that Matt would uh, just casually become the leader of a new radical sect or order called the Franciscans. If anything, it'll just be a good, quite frankly, um, trivia question. <laughs> I, I have to talk to him about what actually differentiates the Franciscans from the Franklies. That'll be... That'll be interesting. He's like, he's like the Martin Luther. I don't know. It's like the Martin Luther of, of the, 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 quite frankly, realm over here. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? You just can't control anybody. All right. Here is a super chat from Ray. Ray from New Jersey says, Everyone give Nikki, the boss of mods, some love, shout-outs, and accolades. Nikki M. Yes, Nikki's the best. She's a very good uh, good friend of the show now after all these years. And it's great to see Ray out there, too. Thank you, Ray. And thank you, Nikki. Let's see here. Youper Viking says, from me and my mom, because who doesn't need some good polished wood once in a while? You're right. And they do a great job over there at Dr. Gottwood's. Thank you for all the light and laughter that you bring in both of our bring to both of our lives. You help make the madness digestible. And I am forever grateful. I'm forever grateful to both of you guys, to you gals over there. Thank you, Youper Viking and Mom. Ed Sullivan says, Burnt Offerings. Where the hell do you come up with this gold? I actually remember that movie. And it was old when I watched it in the 80s. Perfectly said, no less. Oh, I know. I know. I watched Burf Burnt Offerings. Listen, if you, um, if you grew up around my parents, you're watching a lot of old films. Because they're watching a lot of old films. Uh, man, I we had so many VHS tapes. So in Burnt Offerings was one of those films where I, I watched it. I didn't understand it. But uh, I didn't like watching it. And I was actually scared of for a long time because of that hearse driver. The smiling hearse driver with the aviator glasses. That scared the shit out of me for years. So I actually probably, it probably just left a mark because of the trauma of that damn hearse driver. And now when I see Joe Biden, this this old corpse, this reanimated something, put those aviators on I'm like, oh boy, there he is again. I got over the uh I got over the the hearse driver guy. I went and watched that as an adult. I was like, ah, it's not that bad. But as a kid it was just messed up. Real messed up. He's just like smiling, looking in the rearview mirror, you know, just looking down mocking you at a funeral it's fucked up anyway that's that's really just the um and i think it's um betty davis is one of one of her last um one of her last films and my parents are huge betty davis fans joan crawford fans and all of that the feud my mom i think my mom watches whatever happened to baby jane uh like once a once a week at least and that'll leave you with that'll just leave you weird too but hey you learn things i i used to watch i love lucy a lot too uh my father and my mother they, they got the the anniversary sets that were all in the vhs puff packs and a vhs tape would show up every month for like 52 months or whatever the hell it was and we had the whole thing so I, me and anthony we would just run through all the i love lucy's because it was uh, it was always a good time. Everybody's always laughing. I like when people are happy and laughing. So that was nice. All right, let's keep moving on over here. 
over on did I just mess something up on Rumble? Hold on, we saw that. Okay, we got a Rumble rant from Jerry Coogan. It says, John Carroll is brilliant. I'd buy a book if he published one. I think he should. Now, I've been talking to John Carroll about helping me assemble some, quite frankly, related books. Uh, things that are based on my show notes and other things. And we, we just haven't come up with anything cohesive yet. But we want to get into publishing big time. I want to leave physical things behind. And we're mulling it over. We're mulling it over. I'll I'll be a lot more, a lot more. Um, I, I'd say inspired to write extra outside of everything I already write every day. I'll be a lot more inspired to do that once we're settled into our new, our new living space. We're doing a little bit of remodeling, and and I'm carving myself out an office again, no matter how small. So that'll be, can't, you can't get too creative at a kitchen table, especially when your back is barking. It's just tough on those old, those, those hard chairs. You have no clue what I do for you people. The, the torture. Delona 55, thank you. Youper Viking again. Happy Monday, Frank. Hi, mom. Uh, thank you to eyes wide open. Says, would love to know where I can get an America First shirt like that. Oh, this was a genuine Patriot. This was a genuine Patriot shirt. I don't think that they're they're doing business anymore. I think I believe that's what they said. They sent me a lot of great shirts over the years. I don't wear this one as often as I should, I guess. So go check out Genuine Patriot Apparel. See if they're still out there. Sean Joe, thank you. Boys Blanc. Porpoiseful. Paulie says, my goodness, Frank, you broke my mind with that fourth turning essay. And JSF, thank you so much for the can. Yes, as far as the fourth turning essay goes, it is a mind breaker because it ties into the fifth generation warfare. This is why when you watch the show long enough, you have the pieces. We reference things a lot. We tie it into things a lot. Then all of a sudden the puzzle comes together and you see how it's all very interdependent on each other. Fifth generation warfare is just full spectrum dominance. We're talking about not just conventional means of going out there and fighting, but in cyberspace, in the psychological realm, even in the ethereal realm. You know, we're going all over the place. The, the mind games is huge. When you see the kind of the kind of uh, labyrinth we've been put in, when you can actually visualize the labyrinth that we've been put in, and how you're not, you know, I, for example. For example, people who are just hyper-focused on, well, this next election, we're going to kick its ass. I'm like, all right. Hey, I'll go out there and vote. It's it, it's 10 minutes on one day out of the year in 2024. I'll go out there and vote, no doubt about it. But just tell me what has changed and tell me what has changed about the mentality going into this. And, and, and what is, I mean, there's just so much, so much that has to be reckoned, reckoned with. Let's see here. Frank, you need to get uh, Leo Zagami back on real soon. The time is ripe. Yes. Yes, that would be a good guy to get on. Maybe I'll put him in June because May is almost filled up. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about what we have going on in May before I read the bio for Sean Sean Morton. Um, tomorrow, we're going to be doing a little bit of an open night kind, kind of call-in topics. Sean from the SGT Report will be on Wednesday. Raw Egg Nationalist will be back on Thursday. 
on May 5th, I guess it'll just be me and Matt because John Spina ain't coming around. I have to bring him back on next month or bring him on next month. And then we have uh, Jay Dyer next week along with Jay Gulinello. We have a great topic next week that I'll introduce once we get there. Lindsay Sharman on May 17th. She hosts the Rogue Ways podcast. She's been on here before. That'll be a really interesting night. We're going to talk about um, the normalization of psychopathy. Bill Ottman, Minds.com. He'll be back in the studio on May 24th. I have a lot of articles already set aside for him. May 25th, I'm hoping that Sam Tripoli comes back on. On June 7th, we've got some of the reps from Audit NY coming in. You want to talk about local local um, efforts to really to really um, audit uh, New York and its voting systems, they're going to be in studio on June 7th. And the way that they have uh, they have stated it to me that what is going on in New York, the voting rolls in New York is so bad that it, it poses a national security threat. It is not just a problem for the state of New York. So I can't wait to have this all laid out for us and to see what's being done to combat it. That's on June 7th. And I'm working out days in June to bring back G. Edward Griffin and a few other people. And it's, it'll be good. It'll be a good time, including Timothy Alberino. I want Timothy Gordon to come back soon. So that's what we're looking at with, um, with the last couple of months of spring. All right. So as far as tonight's show goes and our return guest, that is Sean David Morton. Sean David Morton has been a writer his entire life, having won national competitions for his writing and poetry while at Woodside High School. He went on to study in Canada, India, Nepal, Egypt, and England's famed Oxford University. Sean went to school in Cairo, Egypt, and traveled the Middle East while still a teenager and later attended Stanford and the University of Southern California, where he earned multiple degrees in political science, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Drama, an advanced degree in theology, and an internationally recognized PhD in psychology, specializing in therapeutic counseling. A world traveler, Sean has taught and lectured in Japan, Sweden, Holland, Canada, and still speaks at conferences all across America and around the world. Sean's stunning predictions of the future brought him international recognition as America's premier futurist. Sean, one of the pioneers of remote viewing, called America's was called America's Prophet by Art Bell and is an award-winning film director and has been a reporter, writer, producer, director, and appeared on countless television shows. Currently, he hosts a radio show named Strange Universe, and he tirelessly continues his quest to bring the light of the world media, the light of world media to the paranormal, the prophetic, and to the ascension of mankind, and tries to never lose sight of the best way to enlighten and to entertain. He's definitely an entertaining guy. And we need to talk about ascension tonight. That's... um. That is without a doubt something that we have to do. Ascension is a big thing because I think that is what is going to really separate this turning from other ones. Because you have a, um, I don't know, you, you remember when we had Nick Hinton on and we were talking about that leap into the fifth dimension? Well, I always wanted to, I always wanted to get that, um, that all I don't know, laid out. 
What does that look like, that fork in the road? When people talk about the, the leap into the fifth dimension, it sounds a lot like they're describing a rapture. You know, and I'm, I'm always very curious and love to get answers about things like this. But you know what? When we come back, when we come back from this really uh, brief break, we'll have Sean David Morton on with us. So, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and enjoy a uh, brief intermission here. I love Phil TV. You're cool. So I love Phil TV. Yeah. You're cool. What's Phil TV? Did you say what's QFTV? Missy gonna need to go over there and watch QFTV Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, right after Quite Frankly. Yeah. Oh, you're definitely cool. Only on QuiteFrankly.tv, powered by Foxhole. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret society, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. No expenditure is questioned, no rumor is printed, no secret is revealed. That is why the Athenian lawmaker Solon decreed it a crime for any citizen to shrink from controversy. But I am asking your help in the tremendous task of informing and alerting the American people. Confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Watches the podcast called, quite frankly, hits more home runs than a New York Yankee. It'll make you grin unlike a bank fee, just as cozy as a nighttime blankie. Number one, not two, like Mr. Hanky. It can get spooky like spies at Langley. And if you go and watch, you just might thank me. Getting ready to, to bring on uh, Sean David Morton over here. Let's, you know, in the meantime, let's take a call because I want to test the phone lines and just see what people are thinking tonight. Let's take a quick call. Call up right now, 914 595 6953. Let's see what comes through and let's see. Uh, this will give us a, a good a good understanding of what kind of capabilities we'll have to do a show tomorrow. Though I'm not going to rely on Skype. I'm going to try to find something different that we can use real quick. 
I also got in touch with Charlie Robinson and I said, hey man, would you like to come on and do a Field of Dreams show with me? Really break down this this story? That would be a wonderful show to do with someone like Charlie who really appreciates uh, the sport and also appreciates, I don't know, just it's just a movie. Last night, I was watching that movie in the shower because I set up my, whenever we have a really good film on, quite frankly, TV, but I have to go take a, I, I'm a shower, nighttime shower guy. Whenever we have that on, I went and I, I put my iPad right there on the edge of the tub, right behind the plastic sheet. And I can get the, plas- the plastic sheet straight up against the screen so I can see it perfectly. I, it's, it's perfect. It's wonderful. I'll stay in the shower for literally 19 hours tonight. I don't care. And I'll watch. I'll be, I'm going to become a Kramer. You remember when Kramer did everything in the shower? He's like washing lettuce, taking phone calls, and just there's just something so nice about the shower. Yeah, that's true. That's what's going on there. But that movie just gets me. Oh my gosh. And we'll do it. We'll do everything. I guess it's not coming through. I guess it's just not coming through. 914-595-6953. I wanted to get that done, but not going to happen. Here's another little tidbit for you. You want to talk about a, uh, a glimpse into the craziness. Into the craziness. Post-birth abortions. You heard me correctly. Though we have been previewed this, this horror not too long ago. Post-birth abortions up to 12 years old normalizes in Europe and Canada under the guise of euthanasia. The Netherlands will become the second European country that will allow children as young as one years old to be killed under the guise of euthanasia, a recent announcement by the Dutch government on late maternity abort and life termination of newborns asserts. The Dutch government will explain expand pre-existing euthanasia rules first introduced in 2002, effectively expanding post-birth abortions at the discretion of medical staff and healthcare providers. How can you even call it abortion at that point? How can you even call it abortion? You know, when, when, you, when you're in a, uh, a fighter jet or something like that and you have to hit the eject button, you're aborting. You're, you're, you're aborting yourself. You're, you're, you're leaving something. You're being taken out of something. And it's a very no-nonsense way of describing what a the, the, an abortion is already terrible but when something something is already i mean whatever it is a a human a a dog a deer has already been born what are you aborting it from from where are you aborting this being at this point you're not you're ending its life you're just killing it it's it's murder so uh, this is, you want to talk about hop, skip, and a jump into, into insanity. There's that. Well, the line, I'm going to keep the lines open right now because now it's 820 and I'm more, um, I am more so just uh, going to assume that we are not having a, a visitor. So anyway, 914-595-6953. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, and if not, we're going to cut this off a little bit early. I can also go to our Super Chats, 
We've got to, um, we got to keep it all moving. Keep it all moving. Larkstar says, Frank, wow, that was inspirational. I love the blog and the shorts on Twitter. You bust your ass for us, Frank. I, uh, it gets us through with provocative words from you. Well, I didn't want it to be provocative. I guess I do. You just want to provoke something out of people. Uh, emotion is a good thing. Responsible action is a good thing, especially if the emotion is positive and and um, and you can put it to good use. That's really that's really what you want want to be doing there. And I'm glad you liked it, Lark. John Carroll, he's been an incredible asset to our whole operation and uh, a good friend of mine. And I really hope that we can get to a point of this. Is why I say sponsor the show. I don't, I don't really um, promote myself as much as I should. People tell me I should get over that, and I do when I can. I usually just throw myself into a, 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 I throw myself into the subject matter every night, and when I come out the other end, I've forgotten to mention it. But become a sponsor of the show if you can. Uh, and there's specialty, you know, there's a lot of specialty tiers for sponsorship on Subscribestar. That's all linked on quitefrankly.tv on the sponsor us tab or in the description below the episode. There is a lot of Polaroid options. That's where I, I, we take Polaroids at home and we send you a Polaroid every, every month. There is several pen pal tiers there. There's the typewriter tier. There's the handwritten tier. Though I think I need to start converting that handwritten tier all into type because the, the time is getting strained and it's so much better for me to get the, the typewriter out and sign it. I like tracing my hand onto everybody's letters and stuff like that and have fun. But there's a lot there. Become a sponsor because what we're doing is we're expanding margins so that we can do more with the network, that I can actually invest more into people who are writing for me. And we can just... Ugh, I would love every night to be to be in some way based on a piece like we just created for tonight, the fourth turning. Obviously, we did not coin that phrase but i think our presentation of it was very quite frankly and i just want to keep that going forever so please become a sponsor especially if you love this show on a nightly basis that would be wonderful kt sky d says um oh my gosh my sister and i watched that movie once when we were little kids we were both scared scared for life or scarred for life by that smiling limo driver we never knew the name of it and i've tried to find it so many times i'm going to text her the name of it right now i'm glad i could have <laughs> i'm glad i can bring everybody back into the fold of that damn movie kt sky d says also the franciscans can go ahead and get wrecked frankly's are the real deal qf fans oh i'm sure i'm sure but you, you have uh, i don't think you understand what a radical sect means and matt will command will command some people who want to go off the beaten path and that is just that's just what will happen okay let's just give it a try we have a visitor over here guy i'm really happy to see what is going on sean david morton do you hear me oh he can't hear me yet sean you hear me i can hear you am i i'm sorry i'm so sorry i'm late oh okay well hold on a second let me turn down this uh this music for a second and you've got a whole bunch of uh, you got a whole bunch of stuff bouncing in front of your face. It it almost looks like your your face has been green screened. You look like an alien. Why is that? Okay, hold on. What's going on? Here? And if you can jack um, that mic up as high as you can, that would Absolutely. be wonderful. Bye. 
Can I just stop the video, or is this a video thing? The video, the video stopped. Okay. Oh, but yeah, I can see your face. No, you can you can keep it going. But uh, hold on, we'll we'll show everybody what's going on. Okay, we can see your face now. Now it's in front of the text. That's great. First of all, Sean David Morton, let me welcome. I, I want to just welcome you back, and I I can't tell you how good it is to see you. Last time you were on, uh, you were in bad shape. Uh, yeah, there's, there's no no putting it any other way. You're in bad shape, and it's been months and months, and you've been going through a lot of a lot of treatments. And what's your situation right now? Are you feeling better? Um, ish. It's uh, you know, it's been a long road. I, on uh, in January of 2020, uh, just very briefly, I was diagnosed with uh, uh, stage four terminal uh, squamous cell cancer, and uh. uh and I thought, okay, so what went down was just very briefly is that I used kind of a, I mean, I had this huge tumor hanging out of my neck, literally had a 16 centimeter tumor hanging out of my neck. And I used a kind of a hillbilly remedy on that. We call it black salve and it's uh, called Amazonia black salve. It's usually used just for, uh, uh, just for, uh, skin tags, warts, moles, things like that. And I slathered this across this tumor. Um, and uh, just literally put a belt between my teeth, took a bunch of painkillers, and this thing just started squirting blood all over the place. And Jesus. <laughs> it was like having green slime attached to your neck. And um, and that's how I got rid of it on the outside. Now, the problem was it was still on the inside, and I was using all these alternative therapies. and I mean, every alternative therapy that you could think of, I was on. Uh, I mean, I was doing using Swiss mistletoe. I was using, uh, I mean, everything. But unfortunately, this is not a... What we call a pancreatic-based cancer. It was a viral cancer, and um, a person that I knew that had it that I that I don't want to drop names, but I mean we've known each other like 40 years. Uh, was uh, was Val Kilmer, and he had the same thing, and uh, and he's a Christian scientist, and he said, "Look, man, don't mess around with this. I did all the voodoo and all the hoobajoo and all the stuff on it. This is something that these jackasses can actually cure." So I took his advice, and he said, "Just do what they say." And um, so something like 47 gamma radiation treatments later, which which gave me third degree burns on the outside, inside of my neck, turned my tongue into a giant scab. Uh, couldn't swallow, couldn't eat. I still have a I still have a feeding tube in my stomach actually because I still can't really swallow. <laughs> my lovely wife is going to make me some throat coat tea here. Uh, oh, I quick. got that the the slippery the slippery elm. Yeah, the slippery elm throat coat tea, and then I use this. Uh, uh, this uh, fantastic Chinese uh, cough syrup, which is called Loquat. And, uh, you know, I sound like I've been smoking and drinking for my entire life. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, Sean, from what, what, what you were telling me in, in email throughout the whole ordeal is that uh, at one point you didn't know if you were ever going to speak again. So the fact that you're just on with us, I'm just going to take that as a, as a huge triumph, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, and I know that our time is short, so I, I just want to be able to get a little bit, because you've done so many years of work on this particular topic of the fourth turning. I just want to yes. turn, turn it over to you and say, we've got this buildup. We talk about all the factors that are going on right now. We take time to do the astro astrological stuff, uh, prophecy, of course, the economic, the, the geopolitical, the, the, the cultural uh, 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 you know, malaise that we're in. I want you to just really just tell us a little bit about the buildup, what the climax of the fourth turning, of our fourth turning will look like, and what the world looks like afterwards. Because I do know, wow. 
I do yeah. know that, that that's really what I want to hear. What does the world look like afterwards this time around? Because it seems a little bit more consequential on a universal level than any other decline of any other civilization or empire, because there is a, uh, there's, there's a metaphysical aspect to this one. So, um, go ahead with yes. this. Um, okay. Wow. Uh, for 17 years or so, I had a newsletter and I ran an organization called the Prophecy Research Institute. And some 20 years ago, when the book first came out, I was telling everybody about the fourth turning book and that people needed to get it. And, uh, you know, having a degree in political science from uh, uh, from USC, I mean, all we would study was, was you know, elections and patterns and, and, and uh, population patterns and all that. So let me just give you some of the facts on this first. Is that the fourth turning talks about how everything... Uh, everything rotates in 80-year cycles. And so that would give us the Revolutionary War. 80 years after that would be approximately the Civil War. 80 years after that, you would have the, um, you know, World War I. Uh, now, of course, you've got, we're at the end of, at the end of World War II, you know, 44, 50, uh, 44, 45. Uh, technically, 2017, 2018, right around there would be 80 years from that. Now, if you look at also, this is the other interesting part about this is, is that, you look at the baby boom generation. The baby boom generation, which of course starts in 1945 when all the troops come home, and we've just beat you know, the Japanese and the, and the and the and the Germans. Um, the baby boom generation consists of 88 million people, of which the spike, the 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 highest population spike of that entire cycle, was 1958-1959, which is right when I was born. So, and then it ends approximately 1966. Then you've got a beginning of a collapse of Western civilization. I would say 67, 68, 69. You could probably put Woodstock in there as being the, uh, uh, as being an example of the collapse of civilization along with uh, the Vietnam War and the Chicago riots in, in, uh, in 1968. And then you have, um, um, then it's interesting because now you have the millennials and the millennials start to be born around between about 1990, 96 or so, or, uh, or actually the, uh, uh, the, the generation boom begins to drop right when they come up with abortion in 72, 73. And whether you're for it or again it, uh, you literally lose, I mean, more people than we lost in all the wars put together to abortions, because we're talking about 75 million abortions performed in the United States and, you know, and around the world, uh, beginning in 72, 73. Now, this drops the population substantially. And as I said, more people than we've lost, uh, uh, if you look at the entire 20th century, you can look at the uh, the Russian communists who killed about about 150 million people, Chinese communists who then murdered about 66 million people. Uh, you know various wars, conflicts. Then you look at the United States, beginning with uh, 9/11 in 2001, uh, we've murdered 27 million people across the Middle East, and this is one of the things that Trump was making a fuss about saying, okay, we've we've murdered 27 million people, we've spent eight trillion dollars on this war. And for what? And I can't even get a trillion dollars out of you people to uh, to build a bridge or a wall between here and Mexico. This was his famous meeting with Rex Tillerson and all these guys in the Situation Room with all these generals who walked out and said that Trump was a was a baby and that he didn't know what he was doing when he was saying, how do we start spending some of this money on America? He also, and this is really when the intelligence people sort of went after him, 
uh, pointed out that uh, if you take the military budget every year, which is about $750 billion, it is uh, uh, for a war that we're not even at war with anybody, which is more than all 50 states, the budgets of all 50 states combined that's being spent on what you think is is a, a military budget. But um, in fact, there's really a lot of stuff that's being spent in outer space. Okay, so the fourth turning is interesting because, and let me put it to you in a couple of ways. You have, I'm going to put it in astrology terms. I'm going to put it in, in, in uh, uh, terms of the turning of Pluto as well because Pluto has a, has a uh, in the chart of nations and countries, uh, Pluto has a cycle of approximately 250 years. It's it's about 242 or so. But at the end of this cycle, you have the destruction of nations. And um, the Bible puts it at 50-year cycles. So let's look at all these cycles all together. Is that okay? Yeah. Can we put, put all this stuff together? All right, let's look at the Bible cycles first. The Bible cycles talks about uh, 50 years that you have um, certain things that you have to do. For example, you've got to you know, not work, not light fires, not cook food uh, from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Everything has to rest on the Sabbath. And of course, you know, they jumped on Jesus about this because they were saying, well, which, you know, Jesus said, well, if your sheep fell in a hole, would you rescue the sheep or your fellow man or what have you? And um, seven times seven is 49. So every seven years, the Bible commands you to repudiate all, all debt um, uh, excuse me, uh, repudiate all debt, break all contracts, free the slaves, if you will, because you were enslaved to people by, by contracts like, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, was it Joseph, not Joseph, uh, it's Laban. Yeah, it was, it was one of the, it was Isaac or something. One of the, one of the, uh, biblical patriarchs had to work for seven years to get his wife, Rachel. And then Laban tricked him with the ugly daughter, Leah. And then he had to work another seven years to get Rachel and all this. So every seven years, you you break contracts, you you free the slaves, you free all petty criminals. Uh, it's Ali Ali Oxen free. Uh, if people are exiled, they get to come back to the country. This is what, by the way, it's what our bankruptcy law is based on. The bankruptcy law, and, and by the way, is my mic okay? Can you yeah, hear me right? it sounds great. Okay. So um, bankruptcy laws and codes in the United States, and the fantastic thing about the U.S. Constitution is that for the first time, in literally 5,000 years, we had a codified system of law that tried to take a lot of the the biblical laws and codes and actually put them into uh, you know a working framework. So seven times seven is 49. Now this is this is very unique. In the 49th and 50th year, oh, also you have to let the land lie fallow. So in other words, you don't grow crops for a year. And you're always in the sixth year, you don't grow the crops. And in the seventh year, you're always guaranteed a bunker, a bumper crop to feed everybody. So in the 49th and 50th year, you free the slaves, you free the petty criminals, you let everybody come back to the country. But this was a big deal. You gave the land back to the people that originally owned it. So for example, Frank, if you had a farm and something happened to your farm or your father died or whatever, and I came along and took your ancestral land, I can only use your land for a period of 50 years or less, and then I'd have to give it back to you or your, your eldest son. Sometimes it was it was passed to daughters, but usually it always had to go to the sons because the sons had to provide sword and spears to, to defend the land. So what this did is that it broke a banking cycle. I know it sounds kind of weird, but we, we still are under the oppression today 
of the Babylonian banking system. And the Babylonian banking system was interest banking, which was outlawed by the Old Testament, outlawed by the Quran, outlawed by the original Catholics, but the Jews found a way around it. In their Talmud, they started saying, and just, and by the way, the, the Muslims started saying this as well, that anybody that wasn't Jewish, in other words, anybody that was what they called an Azur or a stranger, that they weren't really human, and so you could charge them interest. You couldn't do it to a brother. You couldn't do it to a, a, a member of the faith, just like in Islam, but you could do it to somebody that wasn't a Jew. So that's one of the reasons why the Jews were able to go from place to place with their money box, their their money their money chest full of jewels, gold, and what have you, and they could own, own money and interest. Well, after 50 years, you have the, uh, uh, if I have a piece of land and you borrow against it and you have a certain rate of interest, the interest eventually, which is just made up, by the way, all the stuff about banks collapsing and you know high interest rates and whatever else, that's just stuff you make up out of thin air. So after 50 years, the interest is of a higher value than the thing that you eventually borrowed money after. So the Bible wiped all that out. So the reason this is interesting now is because in 2025, we hit 50 years or we hit 250 years. You have, the Bible calls it a cycle of discipline, where you have uh, four cycles of 50. And at the end of that 50 years, or those four cycles of 50 is 200, you then go into what's called the fifth cycle of discipline, which is a 50-year period in which your nation is destroyed, and your people are enslaved, and they're dragged off to foreign countries, and your women are raped, and, and you know the men are enslaved, and whatever else. And that's what we're coming up on. So that's the biblical cycle that's ending in 2025. Now, if you look at the the fourth turning of it, and you have another cycle of well, let me let me go into one more thing. So, in astrology, I could look at your astrological chart, for example. I could just look at the day you're born. Okay, what day were you born? Let's just, I'll just do something easy for you. What a day were you born? April second. Okay, so April. Oh, happy birthday! So uh, I'm, I'm I just had thank, a birthday. Thank you. So, so if I look at your birthday, you look at what's called the progressed sun. So I can tell you that at 18, right? Because I'm looking at the progressed sun, which is which is 30 days, and for each day of your chart, and you put it into a year, I can tell you that something pretty traumatic happened to you at 18. You may have lost a parent, you may have uh, some tra tragedy may have happened, but something major about you shifted because for those 18 years, you were under Aries. So you're very active, very dynamic, very aggressive, very sports-like, very warlike. Now it's interesting because now you're going from 18 to 28, 38, 48, which means now you're under the progressed son of Taurus, which is communication, which is radio, which is the throat, which is exactly what you're doing now. And I can guarantee you that at 28, 38, 48, there's going to be another shift for you where you're going to go into something else. You're going to go into because now you're traveling into Gemini, which means you're probably going to go into news or get a TV job or something like that at 48 years old. So this is how the progression of the equinoxes happens. Now, the same thing happens for countries. Now, this is pretty amazing. If you look at the progress chart of the United States, the United States in 1944 uh, moves into 30 years of Capricorn. So that's 40, that's 44 54, 64, 74. And if you look at what the United States did in that period of time, we, we set up the world. We set up banks. We set up 
I mean, the Ford Motor Company, you had Detroit, you had you had heavy industry, you had cars, you had Disneyland right in the middle of that, which kind of solidified. It, it was the golden age of America because we're all about brick and mortar. We're all about uh, uh, building industry. But at the same time, we also um, set up, it was called the Bretton Woods Agreement, where we actually set up the entire world in an economy that was based on the U.S. dollar. And that's one of the things that 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 uh, the Russians and the Chinese and the BRICS guys and this 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 idiot, this scumbag Biden, uh, is now just letting go. And because now the world is not going to base specifically petrodollars, and now that the world is not going to be trading oil in dollars, you can forget about the lifestyle that we've had. You forget you can forget about us borrowing money like crazy. I mean now. Now is the time you need to start getting gold and silver. Now is the time that gold is gonna is gonna go through the roof of the hyperinflation so, of dollars. So, 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 Sean, so, 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 to just to jump in and to to make sure we we can make the best of the because we'll we'll go past eight forty five. I because you got in a little bit late, but I want to make the best of this. Um, so you're talking about these fifty year biblical cycles. There's five of those, right. and we're coming right. up on the end of the fifth one. And uh, right. it, it sounded like it was nothing but calamitous at the end of that. And then there's well, the Thirty-year cycles now, and of course, and, and it's interesting. Let me just let me continue that. So, the thirty-year cycle would have ended in 1974, which is now we move into thirty years of Aquarius, and almost to the day, Frank, almost to the day was when the personal computer was invented. When Apple and IBM, well, actually Bill Gates and Steve Jobs went to Xerox in 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 Manhattan Beach and stole the personal computer. So from 74, 84, 94, 2004 was when all the personal computer stuff happened. This is when everything started going from bricks and mortar to the remote transmission of energy through the air. Now what we're in is we're in from, 70, from, uh, from 74, 84, 94, 2004. So for 2004, for the next 30 years, we're in Pisces, which is going to be the crucifixion, the sacrifice of America to, you could say, higher, greater spiritual values. And by the way, that would then last until approximately the year 2034. Now let's take this to the next the next level, um, and there's your there's the spiritual aspect of this. The hold on, I need to take a quick drink here. You got it. So when you you talking about okay, I'm trying to I'm trying to pile up all these cycles on top of each other. Obviously, it seems like this is not going to be a uh, a soft landing. It's going to be a little bit of a hard landing. But I I, I definitely want to know how long the uh, the tribulations will last, and what does the world like look uh, look afterwards what does the world look like afterwards okay i gave you a um i sent you something i'm not sure you had a chance to read it or not uh, it was something called the vajra chronicles did you have a chance to take a look at it uh no no not okay. having them because i sent you a pdf of it that i wanted you to look at but this is in 1994 where i predicted i'll put it up somewhere you can probably download it for free or i'll put it up on the uh, the strange universe radio uh, website. If people want to download it, I'll put up a PDF up there. And if people want to come take a look and, uh, you know, buy my books or something, we'll send them a free copy of it. But in 94, I did a, you could call it remote viewing or Tibetan time transference or whatever, but I did a little trip to a hundred years in the future and, uh, to see what everything was like in the year, in the year 2196, as an example. So, and, and let me go into this from the from the point of view of, let me give you one more cycle here. It's very interesting that you have the Great Pyramid of Giza 
which is a, a mathematical prophecy in stone. And what it describes is three paths for humanity. One path of humanity that goes down into the pit, which is also called the well of souls, where unless you repent, unless you are resurrected, so to speak, your your soul, your essence, your energy is eventually just disseminated and destroyed. Then there's a path that goes up. And the path that goes up is interesting because it bifurcates into two separate paths. One path goes into the queen's chamber, which is for people that are just interested in the material, just interested in stuff, just want a car, just want to watch, just want, you know, want to be comfortable and have their junk. But another one goes all the way up. And the one that goes all the way up goes to the king's chamber. And the king's chamber doesn't really start until the 30th century. Actually, it's about the 29th century or so, which all has to do with a thousand years of perfection, but a thousand years in which you will be able to lay your body down, pick up another body with no loss of consciousness, and in essence, immortality. And the fascinating part about this is that if you look at the pyramid timeline, the timeline talks about a massive extraterrestrial invasion in the year 2034 that apparently the planet is so messed up, there's so much pain, there's so much sorrow, there's so many terrible things that happen that, and as a matter of fact, it's called the Day of Appearance. And on September, 27, September 17th of 2034, you actually have a, it's almost like the, uh, the cosmic police, what I call the way high patrol. And they show up to kind of clear out the wreck in the middle of the freeway. They don't help us, but they fix the atmosphere, kind of fix the planet, put us back on a, on a, on a, on an orbital track that we're supposed to be, and then just kind of disappear. And then that leads to the birth of the next Messiah. Now it predicts the birth of Christ to the day. And it also predicts the crucifixion of Christ to the day in the Great Pyramid as being April 1st of 33 AD. And it says that the next Messiah is going to appear on October 31st of, of, of 2039. And the reason it's Halloween is because right now we're entering a null space in the pyramid where, and we don't know how, and we don't know why, but, but apparently between now and that point in time, billions are going to die or billions are going to just check off this planet. And another messianic figure, who I've seen as a woman actually, called the Emanuela, that she incarnates, and that she comes in and as a, a cosmic messiah, as, as I said, those souls that have checked out, that have disincarnated, are now going to be allowed to return. And so by the year, you know, and let me give you one other interesting aspect about this. The Y two K thing was a real and, deal. Anyway, and Sean, you said that this was in a this was in a uh, a remote viewing session that you had that you saw all this stuff. Yes. Okay. But also, what I'm just telling you now is the time coding of the Great Pyramid of Giza. If you understand that when you enter the Pyramid of Giza, uh, cubits, which are about 26 inches or so, uh, represent years inside inside the uh, the pyramid, uh, beginning when the mouth. Of the pyramid actually aligns with what was then the North Star, which is Alpha Draconis at that time. And then every time you take a step up or a step down or go into one of the chambers, those years then become pyramid inches, which are exactly the inches that we use today. So, for example, if you enter into uh, uh, the pit, entrance into the pit happens about 1900 or so. Now, 
that meant that somewhere around, uh, as a matter of fact, I predicted this as well, that there was going to be some kind of massive water catastrophe that was going to occur around Christmas of 2004. And it happened right on cue. It was the, uh, uh, was, it was the Asian tsunami that killed hundreds of thousands of people at that time. It was, it was the one that wiped out Phuket in Thailand. Mm-hmm. That was predicted in the pyramid. But the thing that hasn't happened, and this has got me kind of stumped, is that uh, somewhere around the 2012 to 2016 timeframe, there's a, uh, there, there's a feature called the River of Fire. And the River of Fire is a huge ditch that goes all the way up to the back wall in which something horrible should have happened to all of humanity that then should have washed a big chunk of humanity down into that pit. And it didn't happen. So if you look at the timeline, the Egritasi timeline is completely wrong. The Nostradamus timeline is now completely wrong. He stops about 2005. The Great Pyramid timeline is completely wrong. That's stopping around 2012 and 2016 or so. So now you've only got, you know, futurists and people like myself that are uh, that are looking towards these these future events, and um, I can also and let me one of the things that slide it in here. The planet Pluto is always important because you have to look at where Pluto is in the chart of nations. And it was only me and Alex Jones, for whatever reason, uh, managed to predict the beginning of the Russian-Ukrainian war as being as being February twenty second um, of when it happened. And um, you got to give you know Jones some props because he got some kind of information from somewhere, and I predicted it because it was when Pluto hit 27 degrees of Capricorn in the chart of the United States. We have which is the, the July 4th, 1776, between about 4 and 6 p.m. You had Pluto at, at 27 degrees Capricorn. Pluto is the planet of destruction. It's the planet of the planet of sex, death, destruction. So it destroys anything it comes in contact with. And Capricorn is banking, is economics, is property, is uh, are all those things. So you just have to imagine that Pluto has his scythe underneath, because it's also governments, it's constitutions, it's government, governments, it's, it's anything that's the established order. And so now Pluto is messing that up. So I have an entire list of when Pluto hits uh, 27 degrees Capricorn and on every single one of those. And by the way, when Pluto entered Capricorn was 2008, which was which was the beginning of the financial crashes in 2008. And now you've got the February 22nd. Now Pluto has moved into Aquarius for about eight months and then it moves back into Capricorn. It's going to go over 27 degrees Capricorn. It goes over once, backs up, goes over twice. Backs up, goes over three times. I mean, it's like being run over by a truck. Over well, and, over. And, and, and you know, here's the thing: even with me, Sean, when I hear this, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, uh, I, I wouldn't know what the, the the first thing from 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 the next, as far as planets moving into to certain positions in the sky and and the the uh, the historical. Um, the implications of that and energetic. Well, that's why you got me, Frank. That's why you got guys like me. Exactly, exactly. So, so that's why I say. So, I'm, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to take the the main pieces here of the 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 cyclical analysis that you're giving us, and right. and and try to see where we are on this 
80-year trajectory with the fourth turning, with all these, right. the, and then, of course, the, the biblical uh, trajectory. And then to see for the next 10 years, which I would have to see, uh, say, yeah, well, I would have to assume is where a lot of the moving and the shaking is going to go. Now, you just said in, yeah. you know, you just said in, in 11 years from now, there's going to be a cosmic uh, highway department that shows up to clean up the highways over here. Um, right. So... That seems pretty big. That seems like a, a, a pretty big uh, decade ahead of us. Not only that we have to deal with all of the earthly matters, but we're going to have some uh, we're going to have some visitors in the next eleven years. You say? Well, the good news is that it's it's now. This is also where it gets weird. I mean, you have you had a guy who did a very interesting interview online, and it was called I think it was called an interview with the man in black. And this guy came on and said, look, I'm dying of cancer. I'll admit all the stuff that I did. He admitted to murdering several, I mean, with his bare hands, actually murdered several UFO investigators. Uh, and he did this interview back in, this guy with the mustache, glasses, and he did this interview back in 2008. And oddly enough, not only was he prescient, he said, look, if the plan is in place that I'm predicting, he said, in the 2017-18 time range, they're going to introduce a global plague of some kind, a huge flu virus, and that happened right on cue. Then it was weird because not only him, but a woman who's online, whose name I forget. I had all this written down, and then I I thought <laughs> I thought we were going on tonight at like at, at eight thirty, so uh, a little unprepared. But uh, it was a blonde woman who was Werner von Braun's uh, personal assistant, and she said the exact same thing. Carol that Carol, Carol Rosen, you're talking about? Yes, yes, exactly. She said the same thing the Man in Black guy did that said by 2024, 2025, that in order to establish their version of world government that they will fake, she says, using Project Bluebeam technology, which is a solid light holographic technology that maybe many people believed was used to create the Phoenix Lights uh, over Phoenix in 19, uh, 1997. And that's not true, by the way. It, it did some of it because I'm the person that investigated the Phoenix Lights for hard copy and we were the first people to put it on national network television. But uh, um, they uh, uh, that they would use this to fake an, an, an extraterrestrial invasion. And that if that was to occur, which is why they're supposedly releasing all this information on, uh, you know, the Tic Tacs. And they don't call them UFOs anymore. They call them UAPs and all that nonsense. So, but here's the deal about 2024, 2025. When Pluto moves into Aquarius, which it will for 18 years or so. And the last time Pluto was moving through Capricorn was 1774 at the beginning of the Boston Tea Party uh, uh, for, for an 18-year period through there, which once again established the banks and broke our relationship with Britain and whatever else. But now Pluto is going to move into Aquarius, which means now artificial intelligence is what we're going to have to worry about. And um, in the Vodger Chronicles, and this was back in 94, mind you, not only did, did the Vodger Chronicles predict 2001 there would be an attack on New York. Uh, would be the beginning of the wars in the Middle East. You would have all these people die, but that there would be a massive population revolt against artificial intelligence because of what it was going to do, and that you actually had like terrorists or guerrillas that were going to be blowing up these these AI centers. And I believe it's called the Butlerian Jihad, which I think is a term out of uh, I think Frank Herbert uses it in the Dune books, the Butlerian Jihad, which is to get rid of all these you know, all this AI stuff, but. The biggest thing about the United States will be not only will, will there be a civil war, but this what how the civil war will look is it'll be uh, counties and uh, sections of states that are going to be seceding 
they're going to literally vote to get out from underneath. As a matter of fact, we have a county, uh, we have San Bernardino County here in California because Gavin Newsom is insane and they want to now basically withdraw and have their own thing. You've got... Uh, uh, and and that, that's how I would say is was always the way I saw something like that happening. Um, whenever people bring up this whole idea of some kind of a civil conflict that that may arise in, in the future, um, those who don't think too deeply into it will just draw up any kind of uh, imagery that they could they could they can uh, drag out of the 1860s where there is a clear battle line that's drawn along the right. Mason Dixon and but it, this is not going to be that it's going to be it would be local disturbances secessions and um, and and a lot of uh, a lot of things like that regional conflicts if anything so um uh, and, and uh, now now listen we're going to do a little a little bit of overtime here because we're about to roll over uh nine o'clock which is the usually the end of the show sean so uh for the next five minutes any way that you want to be able to just i know it's a i know that these large cumbersome concepts are very hard to just talk about in uh in a little way but for in a crash course sense Again, we're we're making our way toward what that world looks like after we hit this turning point. So go ahead and uh, and and take it away. Well, let me give you the uh, yeah, I'll give you the big picture then. I mean, again, I I took it upon myself in 1994 to I guess you could say take a trip to 100 years in the future and then look back and then read the headlines. And as I said, we're gonna we'll, we'll post it and you guys can download it for free if you like. As I said, uh, please buy my books, take a look. We've got the Real Diamond Diaries and the Santa Time books and all that stuff. So, uh, um, so buy the books, please. It's how we support ourselves. And uh, uh, they're up on Amazon as well, Sands of Time. The whole series is there, and there'll be eight books in the series. Um, the big news is, is that, as I said, Earth, from a metaphysical standpoint, is about to become a sacred world. Hmm. And so, as a sacred world, that means that only certain people will be allowed to incarnate on this planet who have a spiritual agenda, who are, who are people that want to go after things of the spirit. Now, what I see is the birth of a central messianic figure uh, who either comes to power or is born sometime on October 1st of, 1st of uh, 31st of 2039. And why that date is significant is that it is the return of the spirits of the dead back to life. That's why Halloween has been, you know, kept around. So you're so not long. you're not talking about a uh, the Christian uh, second coming here. You're talking about something completely different. Correct. I'm talking about an incarnation. I'm talking about something that could actually happen, where you actually have a theological uh, world leader that that people recognize, not the beam of light. An antichrist. Down. Possible. But remember, there's two comings of Christ. That, that The first one is if the, if the world is in complete and utter chaos, yes, you have the beam of light with the, with the, the son of man on the great white horse with the saucers and whirlwinds at his heels and faithful and true written on his thigh. But you have another one. And the other one is is that if all of these warlike things kind of peter out, you actually have somebody who incarnates again and comes along and kind of takes over something. And you just remember, too, every religion has something or someone coming from the sky and putting them in charge, whether it's Islam, whether it's the Jews, whether it's the Christians, whether it's the Mormons. It's all about that. So you're going to see the United States break up. You're going to see it... Um, probably because they'll rig the election again in 2024 mm. you quite possibly if if remember george soros is backing ron DeSantis. if ron DeSantis gets the nomination trump will run on a on an independent ticket 
If that happens, he splits the vote of the Republicans, and they can grease in anybody they want. They can cheat, again, because they haven't fixed the election system, and put in either Joe Biden or Gad Newsom or you know Kamala or, or whomever. Joe Biden's going to die in office. That's that's I've said that before. So he's not going to finish his term. But in the long run, the United States is going to is going to join with Canada and Mexico, and it's going to be a 13 nation state uh, confederation that's going to be known as the North American Union. That's coming back. That, that's the North American Union. Now, let me. Not only do I know of which I speak, but my great 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 grandfather all the way down was John Morton, and he immigrated from Finland. And he was the one that not only signed the Declaration of Independence for Pennsylvania, but he was the one that actually set up the Confederacy of States, which is what we were under with nine presidents of the Confederacy uh, before the Federalists came in and foisted, which is a bad, bad idea, by the way. You know, the Constitution may be a great document, but it's so far uh, inferior to what they had as the Confederacy of States. And then when they realized they'd been ripped off by all this federal federal power, and Washington went in to put down the Whiskey Rebellion and whatever else. They went back to my great-great-great-great-grandfather's uh, confederacy, confederacy of states and had their own government and had everything else. And Robert E. Lee had no right to surrender, by the way, because Jefferson Davis was the president, but that's a whole other thing. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to these confederacies of states. By the way, you have part of Oregon that wants to withdraw and become part of Idaho. So this is it's already happening now. With you know people who are going to say, look, we don't recognize the federal authority. We're just going to do what we want to do. But by 2025, we're going to be at war with China. We're going to be, that's going to be the biggest thing because the Chinese have talked about the long march forever since Mao, and the long march has always been a code word for the invasion of the United States. And in the future, I see the last battle uh, being Denver, Colorado, and Denver, Colorado is the secondary federal capital of the U.S. So if somebody was to blow up Washington, D.C., uh, the continuity of government would take 250,000 troops, and within 48 hours, they would all confederate in, or they all conglomerate in Denver. And it's interesting because the very name Denver in Hebrew, den means to judge, ver means plateau. So Denver actually means plateau of judgment, which is what Revelation talks about. And if the United States is the second holy land that's been prepared in the wilderness which is what our forefathers thought it was, which is a perfect description because the book of Joel, it talks about the second holy land uh, being a land between two shining seas, a great river to the south, and its northern border being the top of the world. That is the United States of America. And if that's true, then that means all the apocalypse and revelation stuff doesn't happen in the Middle East, and it's not the Mount of Olives. It's here, and it's in the United States, and it's Denver. And we fight off a massive invasion of the Red Chinese. And 100 years from now, uh, a lot of China is a smoking radioactive hole in the ground. From uh, now, whether or not that happens, or the timeline is completely shifted, as I said, the Edgar Casey timeline is wrong. Nostradamus is wrong. Gordon Michael Scallion is wrong. Um, I've been the only one that's left standing that's had a series of predictions that are that are correct because I've corrected my predictions because I've seen the timeline shifting and sh changing, and we are on a completely different timeline now. And the fourth turning is all about this new generation of almost 100 million people that as the 88 million from the from the baby boom are checking out towards the exits that this new generation of people is going to have to start waking up the truth and have to start tuning into programs like yours and have to use you people like you as as leaders of this movement 
because 10% of the people think that Russia that, that that Trump is a Russian stooge. The other 10% of the people say that's not true and the election was stolen. So, but that's how successful the the war party and the intelligence agencies have been in completely propagandizing and brainwashing so many of the American people. And in the end, the last thing I have to say is it comes down to Abraham Lincoln where you can feel you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. So that's where it's going to go, and that's how things are going to break up politically, socially, economically. Uh, it's going to be a panic, and it's going to be all about God, guns, gold, groceries. And I would side on the side of the people that have the God's guns, gold, and groceries rather than people that if they eat a hamburger, it makes them cry. Oh, I know. I know there's there's so much there's so much out there. I, I, as I, was I saying, can't eat a hamburger. It's making oh, so much pain. It makes me cry. I know. And I, in in the opening, uh, Sean, I was I was even saying it there too that when you you think about this whole these uh, debates about about uh, language and about moms and dads and gender and all that, I said that is the fishing net. It is it is really just a fishing net. It keeps everybody in one place or easier to snag. Um, I think that your your breakdown there, your thirty thousand foot view was was uh, this episode. If we can just itemize all the things you just said right now, I think in about seventy five years we will be able to do a very very good comparison of what the hell shook out. Of course, barring a timeline shift, what shook out and what didn't. I mean, names, places. It's been very very specific. I. I, especially when you were talking about this uh, this certain jump off point, I I was assuming that you were paying reference to something that I have been um, I've been talking with several guests in the past about, and that is this this shift to the fifth dimension, and yes. and I I always wondered about that because when when people talk about a fifth generational shift that we're getting ready to ascend, uh, it always has a very rapture like feeling to it all where we are suddenly at this fork in the road and um those who are ready move on and those who don't what they just blink out of existence so they stay they stay in a get your definitions right here now frankly now here's the deal you have height width breadth you have time which is the which is the fourth dimension and time is what gives everything else meaning okay because without time Everything is moving so quickly, it's like a car that spins around in a circle unless you put time into that, into that equation. So what is the fifth dimension? The fifth dimension is being able to take that which you think and turn it into physical reality. We're doing that now with computers. We're doing that now with artificial intelligence. We're doing that. So right now you've got you've got a six chakra energy system. You've got the base two chakra being lost in Tibet, the second chakra being Cairo, Egypt, the third chakra being Stonehenge. Uh, the fourth chakra being Machu Picchu, the fifth chakra of communication being downtown Los Angeles, and the sixth chakra of the third eye being Osaka, Japan. The seventh chakra is this, is the internet, is, is Paul Lejardin, who was the French philosopher, he called it the new sphere, because the purple light or flame that comes out of the top of your head, that's from the, the pineal gland, the pituitary gland, the hippocampus, the right and left sides of the brain. So if you look at the entire earth, as a gigantic brain with that line of demarcation up the center and if you draw a line from gabon africa and then draw it straight up which means it goes through rome goes through berlin goes all the way up to stockholm and then you split that that's the east and the west those are the the, the left and the right hand sides sides of the brain and with the organs of control in the brain being rome being berlin rome controls it for the catholics berlin controls it for the lutherans but it goes straight up so the seventh chakra 
is the internet. The seventh chakra is this telecommunication across the world where as I'm speaking, you can hear me in Sweden, you can hear me in Australia, you can hear me in Japan, you can hear me anywhere, anywhere across the world. So I can speak as a lamb and be and, and have the voice of a dragon, as they say in Revelation. So the challenge of this is that we all have to come together. Now we have such a powerful mass global consciousness through technology. And it's gonna and that's why they had to get hold of it. That's why, you know, CNN was the information arm of the Central Intelligence Agency. That's why the five eyes agencies are so, are so powerful. That's but, why. But how does that? But how does that lead us to a place where there is a physical jump off, where uh, th there are those of us who just go somewhere else and and they live in a mystical kind of purple and blue world, and the uh, everybody else who what goes back to to picking daisies. I I I'd never understood that when people say well, we're getting ready. There's a, a big transformation for the, the species that's coming, and it's going to be a, an ethereal one in, in many respects. Like I said, it's very rapture-like in the way that it's described, but I can never really get a handle on on how it, how, uh, it is uh, supposed to happen. I'll tell you a funny story. I took a kid to a—it wasn't a kid. He was a scientist. It was a, uh, the son of a friend of mine, and we went to a, we went to a USC football game. And he actually worked on CERN in Switzerland. And I said, how is it that you've got a $6 billion machine and every time you turn it on, it doesn't work? And he says, well, we have a theory about that. And I said, what's the theory? And he said, our theory is, is that every time we turn this thing on to create antimatter, it destroys the planet and takes out a big chunk of this neck of the galaxy with it. And so we become to come to the belief that we live in a holographic universe. So every time we destroy that universe, we can hit a button that takes us back to a reset point to before the universe was destroyed, like a you know, like a like a video game. And I remember saying that that's the greatest excuse for uh, industrial incompetence that I've ever heard. <laughs> and yet six months later, I'm not kidding. Six months later, what he told me about the holographic universe and the reset button and going down different timelines was on the front page, left column of the LA Times. And there's now currently an accepted theory that we live in this, in a, in a holographic style universe. And that when certain mass destruction occurs, uh, we can actually hit that timeline, that, that timeline button, if you will. And being paying attention to this and having something called the Prophecy Research Institute and focusing on prophecy and having to tell you, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you something outrageous right now. When I grew up, um, I grew up with, with the sign on the on the side of Mount Wilson Wilson over here, when I was a kid, it said Hollywood Land on it, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but when I came out of a group that we had that was an extraterrestrial contactee abductee lived on another planet, guy's name was Hal Wilcox, and we had a group, and these aliens told us that we had jumped timelines, and we looked up and saw that the sign said Hollywood and not Hollywood Land. We realized that we were living in an entirely different. We skipped a timeline somehow, and the same thing happened uh, in 1992. There were a series of earthquakes that I was predicting, that Gordon Michael Scallion was predicting, that we had a huge earthquake, and every one of my neighbors in Hermosa Beach, because we look out over the Santa Monica Bay, over what they call the Queen's Necklace, uh, watched about a dozen of these avocado-shaped, glowing green ships come down, drop down out of the cloud cover and start hitting the landmass with these blue-white beams. 
which stopped that earthquake from actually because it's on the hinge where the, where the earthquake was was on the hinge out in a place called Landers, California, that could have actually sent California just either broken us up in islands or rocketing us into the ocean. That didn't happen. And so it didn't happen. So now, not only are we in blue skies, but we don't have um, millions upon millions and millions of people dead, which I'm sure is what they wanted to do with the uh, 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 with the with the virus, with the uh, with the COVID. And again, we're at the edge of a precipice of this null space, according to the Great Pyramid of Giza, where millions or possibly billions are going to die. And yet you've got the, the, the super villains of the world, the specter, if you will, that where you have Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos, Mr. Evil. Who not only looks like Mr. Evil, for, for God's sakes, he's got a rocket that looks like a giant penis, just like Dr. Evil. So It's incredible. What is... Yeah, and what, where's James Bond to stop all these people? That's the problem. We don't have James Bond. We've just got, you know, we've just got Spectre. And um, the challenge of this is, is that everything they try, as far as wiping out billions of people, and believe me, now's the time. Whether you know it or not, Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and and Schwab and and the and the WAE, they are trying to murder you. They are trying to kill you. They are attacking your food supply. They are poisoning crops. They are poisoning livestock. They are manipulating the economic system to create chaos in this country. And I'm hoping and praying to God that the American people are smarter than that because we all think that Trump is going to swoop in and save us. And when that doesn't happen, then you're going to see the flit hit the sand, as it says, because they're going to make January 6th look like, uh, you know, look like a, a picnic. Well, what? what that all occurs yeah. and then you're going to you're going to see real real secession and real armed conflict but again it's going to take the form of people voting and saying we don't want to play anymore and it's all going to and people are going to be begin to realize that unless you have well here's how it's going to go they want to create chaos in the cities to defund the local police so that you have federal police and we're right at the edge of the weimar republic as it was in the early 30s when hitler came in and started screaming law and order we're right there and that's what's going to happen next when it's going to take a, a wheelbarrow full of dollars to be able to buy yourself a loaf of bread. That's what they're creating. Well, I think step in and stop it. We, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's, it's you, you. You just never because as we're talking tonight, I guess the the thing that really that really uh, stands to the fore for me is how many X factors there really are. And I think that's the thing that keeps me the most hopeful and most excited to keep doing the work and, and having good time is because uh, human consciousness is is a very important thing in the in the mix here. And and every day there are choices to be made and. It's everything. It's everything. Right? And you're guiding it. And God bless you for doing that. And as I said, the uh, every civilization has a motto. You know, the Greeks was know thyself. The Romans was thy own self be true. The motto of the great American civilization is more is better. If I just had more is something to be better, which is also not true. But the Mayans had a motto that was all is one. Life has purpose. And God is love. And if all is one, then that means we're all in this together. That you and I are, are linked in the same and if if uh, if you know if God really if life does have purpose, then that means that everything that you wake up and do every day has a purpose to it. And if God is love, then that means the prima mobile, the first thought in the universe, was all about love. And the more we identify with that with that ancient Maya motto, uh, the better off we'll be. So there you go. Sean David Morton, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us tonight. I can't wait to do a uh, strangeuniverseradio.com. Strangeuniverseradio. Strangeuniverse. Strange Universe. 
you'll get uh, the Vodger Chronicles, which is a double newsletter for free. You'll be able to read that whole view of the future. And then you'll be able to get to see Santa's Time 1, 2, and 3, uh, Santa's Time Time Runner 1 and 2, uh, the Vril Domin Diaries, which I geez, I can't even keep on the shelves. It's so popular about the five psychic women that uh where, where what's uh, what's the best e- where, what's the best uh, url that people can go to, to to peruse all of your work do you have a, a central a central website uh, uh, strange universe radio strange universe radio.com uh, all the books are up on amazon now so uh, uh they, they will blow your mind they've been rated five star uh everybody loves them and it's the it's a massive download of information you'll never see anything like these books where they're fabulously well written they're great adventure books and they deal with the with the true world of super technology and black ops that really exists. And I, I'm hoping, uh, if the truth ever gets told, uh, these books will be taught as as uh, as history texts. I think at some point in the future. I Thanks can't. For- I, 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 no no doubt about it, Sean. It's great to have you on, and I can't wait to start actually sitting down and reading the the Sands of Time books and uh, strangeuniverseradio.com. I hope people go check it out, and you'll be back soon. I want to do just a little something with you tonight because it had been so long. I'm glad you were up for it, and uh, and and we'll do more of this in the future. Thanks for everything, Sean David Morton. Peace. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let me make sure that I have uh, everything right. Um, I think I'm all good over there. I think I'm good. I just released the scratching. That's it. We did a little bit of overtime. It's 9.18. I'll see you tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, um, over on QuiteFrankly.tv. We're starting off with our Monday Mystery Movie Monday. Uh, it's a mystery to me. I don't know what the hell the movie's going to be, but I will see you in that chat room before long, ladies and gentlemen. Go and make yourself at home on QuiteFrankly.tv, and I will see you tomorrow night. Good evening. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. Now, our super chatter, starting with Larkstar, KT Sky D, Stostube, hello Stostube, Radar NJ, Uber Viking, Ed Sullivan, and our friend Jerry Coogan. Jerry Coogan over there on uh, on the Rumble Rants and to all of our other friends on the Foxhole Gold Pills. Also, Costco Law School. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I will get Jay Dyer on. The, email me your, your, uh, your Jay Dyer request, Costco, and I will talk to you after the show. Thank you, everybody. Good night.